Welcome to Off Book, a podcast from The Young Vic, where we have conversations with creatives who have recently inspired us with their work here. In February 2016, I spoke to actor, writer, director and saxophonist Carol Karemera about appearing in Battlefield, directed by Peter Brook, which was on in The Young Vic's main house. Here's what she had to say. It's fantastic to be joined by Carol Karemera, who is currently in Battlefield at The Young Vic. Carol, welcome. Thank you. First question I've got for you, actually, is Carol's not your full name, is it? No, Carol is not my full <laughs> name. It's my <laughs> first uh, Christian name. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, when uh, you're born in Rwanda, usually people, they look at you for a few days before to give you a name. So my real name and my proper name is Umulinga. 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 It's, uh, it's a jewel to transform a woman into a queen. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not the queen, but I'm the jewel, <laughs> which is not bad. Oh, wow. Incredible. Yeah, but uh, in Europe, you know how it works. And in Belgium, I'm born there. So they say, like, no, this is not a proper name. You need a Christian name. And then look at the calendar and then choose the one that you love. But um, Carol, yeah, it's also because uh, of that old song that my mom loved in the 70s. Carol, I don't know how to sing it. <laughs> but uh, she said, OK, if I have to choose a Christian name, at least <laughs> a one linked to another music. And Karimera is my father's name. Oh, fantastic. Which is not mine, but this is what we do in Europe. You take the name of your father. Yes. Even if it's not yours, which is strange. Oh, you don't do that in Rwanda? No. No. What do no. you take? Oh, you take only yours. Oh, okay. Yeah, because whatever your parents did in the past, um, good or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not supposed to inherit from uh, your parents' good or bad actions. So you say that I'm Mulinga, I am the daughter of Karemera. This is how you introduce yourself. Okay. And so you were born in Brussels? Yeah. Yes. And how long did you live in Brussels then? Oh, God, a long, too long time. (laughs) (laughs) I love Brussels. Mm. I do love. The city is great. Uh, But I I spent, yeah, almost 20, more than 25 years there before starting moving and and looking at the world and seeing, you know, to a different place when I could live. Um, yeah, basically, I'm born in Brussels, and then I studied in Liège, and then I studied in Mons, and I finished to work in Brussels and all around Europe. So, growing up in Brussels, was it a creative family? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, my my mother and her sisters um, and brothers they are eleven, but in Brussels they were around um, six or seven, and uh, they have been raised in the culture family, in the culture environment, let's say, and 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 they choose to use culture as a tool for resistance. Uh, because they were born in exile and they wanted to sensitize the people in Europe about the situation in Rwanda, the massacre. So they choose to um, dance and sing uh, to talk about uh, their country. So many musicians, um, it's often the case when you have dictatorship and uh, no freedom of expression in the country, intellectuals, artists are quiet. when they are not killed, they fly mm. away. <laughs> mm. So uh, I've I had the chance to 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 grow up with um, uh, big musicians like uh, Muyango, like Cecil Kayerebga, like really old traditional uh, musicians and dancers. So that Rwandan identity was very important for you growing up. Yeah, it was really fifty-fifty uh, mm-hmm. um, because at home it was that people they were speaking in Rwanda. They were we had um, a family gathering and then we had like culture troops and dance groups and and uh, the other half was 
Belgian, but the Belgian identity itself, it's also complex. It's not mm. <laughs> uh, dark or dark brown or anything like that. It's also a mixture of other um, cultures. So it was, yeah, 50-50. Yeah, quite well balanced, in fact. And so your, your friends at school, they were Rwandan or they were Belgian? No. Uh, in school, in Liège, I think when I, I grew up there, we were, I think, six blacks in the whole city. So it was not so mixed. <laughs> so that was, must have been really noticeable. Then. Yeah. 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 So you have to be proud of who you are. Otherwise, people, they just like walk on you. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I liked it in a certain way because you learn what what is to be different quite early uh, in your life. So you, you deal with it. And what were the noticeable elements of being a minority growing up in Brussels then? Um, Brussels, that was still okay, but in Liège, where mm. I've, I grew up, it was it was quite. Um, how can I say? I'm I'm quite tall and black, so it's, it was not so easy. People they look at you first. They look at your feet to know if you have high heels or not. Uh, they um, they look at your way of talking, speaking, and they ask where you're from. And it was just difficult because I, I'm not born in Rwanda. So I felt like I'm I'm from here. I, I, I don't understand the question. No, but where your parents are originally from? And I was like, okay, yeah, they're originally from Rwanda, but I'm born here. Even if I'm born in exile, I'm a Belgian like you. <laughs> so it's too... When you're five years old, you just fight uh, with the others. When you're 12... Um, you try to explain. When you're 15, you just close yourself. And when you're 20, you find other ways to, to speak about uh, this uh, difference in a, in a more um, welcoming way. Okay, very interesting. And why did you choose to pursue an arts career then, become an artist? Hmm. I think first, uh, probably the environment, uh, because I've been yeah surrounded by singers, and uh, and uh, my grandfather took me to see the first theater play in Burundi when I was five years old. Uh, so it just like yeah, yeah, sticked in my mind. And um, in fact, I did not know if I wanted to be an artist or a mathematician. For me, it was it was the same thing. It was. Um, play with the, the invisible, create, and being in a world of abstraction, so connect to the reality, but at the same time not. So it was really difficult for me to choose. So I just took a coin, I threw it up, and uh, and it fell. And I said, okay, mathematics or arts, and then it fell on arts, and this is how I entered. Oh school. wow! So we could have lost you to maths for a for a whole lifetime. N- not lost. I would have done something else. <laughs> <laughs> the stage would have lost you. Theatre would yeah. have lost you. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I will stage mathematics concept I will <laughs> and your Never your know. family and all of those siblings they were supportive of you going into the arts of course not oh. <laughs> oh no oh no I received letters from all over Africa saying like what the hell are you doing uh, don't forget that you're um a, a child, you know, a refugee child. You don't. It's already hard for people in Europe, but you're different, so it will be harder for you. And uh, who do, you know, who do you think you are? And uh, you have to contribute to the entire family and da da da. So if you become an artist, what what will happen to to you? And uh, I had to uh, fight a lot. Uh, the two first years, yes, my mom, she was not speaking to me. When I finished art school, she was not coming to see me on stage. So I was like, okay, but one day maybe if she will come and then maybe we're going to start a conversation. So she came maybe whoa, uh, six years later. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and slowly by slowly, um, 
yeah, my my siblings and my aunties and my, but my grandfather and my grandmother was they were the only ones supportive really in this. And how did that make you feel that only your grandparents were supportive? Um, I could not understand because I've uh, I've grown in a family when uh, the culture values were really strong, and uh, for my parents to be so against that, I was like, for me, it was a distortion. I said, like, but how can you just, you know, educate me with those values that's so important for you, and then when I want to embrace them professionally, you just stop me. So for me, it was probably um, part of the the situation they were in as refugees and uh, this this connection with the their own um, culture and and seeing the reality of the world where where I would have to to live so they wanted to preserve me in a certain way uh, but also they were victim of of this um, violence that they that they felt as being culturally different and and everything so i i don't blame them uh but it was for me really a case to understand why if it's so important for you you have to uh, forget about it and why you can't be yourself in a different society it was really a, a real question until today it's still the question that i asking myself every day and then six years later when your mother first saw your art you must have been so happy no no, <laughs> because she's uh, she's a, a tough woman. Mm. So I was like, okay, we're gonna have a real difficult conversation after this, and um, and she was like, yes, that is in- interesting. Um, the theme is quite well developed, and uh, how the people in the audience react. And she didn't ask me how do I feel doing that job, uh, if I can make a life uh, uh, out of it, or no. She was just noticing. And um, seeing that maybe, maybe it could be useful. What am I doing? That's all. So what do your other siblings do for work? Living? Oh, God. Uh, uh, my big brother is a businessman, a real businessman. <laughs> so he do mining and new technologies all over the world. Um, my other sister, uh, she's, uh, she's running an, a place for old people uh-huh. in Belgium. Uh, she studied um, social science. And uh, um, my little sister, she's uh, she's working for the Nike Foundation as a, as a business developer. So she's also in the business. And uh, my uh, younger brother is uh, working for the um, Belgian public administration. So it's yeah, yeah, not so many artists <laughs> around <laughs> in my generation. It's interesting then because not only do you act, but you also direct and also dance and you also play the saxophone. So you've got all of these different uh, artistic vents that you that you have. Which mm. ones do you enjoy? How do they complement each other? Oh, I think it has to do with different period of life, mm. uh, periods of life. It's um, I think for me it's the same medium, uh, but sometimes it um, a certain theme or subject requires something different. And the way that you listen and that you want to, to, to structure your work needs other tools and and um, notes, like in music. And then some notes you can play it with words. Sometimes the sense is really important. Sometimes the sound, which is more important, which creates sense. Um, sometimes it's uh, the way that you breathe words or the way that you are on stage in connection with the audience, your capability of 
of um, listening to other people's movement, understanding the, the body language and many things. So uh, I, I pass from one to another. Another Sometimes I, I try to use uh, my voice as an instrument. When I do theater, I, I do uh, use my body in theater or I use um, the, the music of words in playing music. For me, there is no barriers. I know that um, especially in in, um, in Europe, we we are tend tend to 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 create barriers between the disciplines, our disciplines. But for me, it's less. Uh, there is no barriers. So they all complement each other. Your your saxophone, your dance, your your yeah. voice, your movement. Yes, for me, it's it's all one. It's uh, it's it goes through me. Mm. <laughs> sometimes I have something in my hand. Sometimes not. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, it's a way of being free to to be able to pass from one discipline to another. And if I can learn other disciplines, I will be happy also if it's needed. And how come the saxophone? Why was that the instrument that you picked up? Oh, that's that's really a, a mistake. It's just, <laughs> no, really, I wanted to play piano. Mm. And uh, my mom told me that because we were used to move from one place to another every three three years, uh, she, she didn't want it to stay in the place more than three years. It was her principle. So she told me that that won't be practical, really, to have a piano at home. So I should choose another instrument. So I went to the Academy of Music. And I didn't know what to learn. And uh, then I, the girl in front of me said saxophone. And when I arrived, and they said, like, which instrument do you want to pick? And I was like, saxophone. <laughs> this is how I... But before that, I... Yeah, of course, I heard a lot of jazz because my mom, she loved jazz and blues and, and other things because she, she tried really to, um, to, to teach us a lot of different genres of music and everything. Uh, but I really discovered it at the same time that I was discovering myself because I was nine years old when I started and it was I was growing with it, which was nice. Yeah. So that's interesting that although your mother didn't want you to become an artist, she was very keen for art to be there in your life growing up. Yeah. It could be music, literature. Uh, she was telling me stories till uh, I was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. She was inventing new stories every day. Um, yeah, it was... No, I think she she's responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe now, <laughs> if I ask her, say, like, don't you think that you have some part, that you mm. played some part in this? Yeah. And why did she want to move house every three years? What was the reason for that? Um, my personal interpretation for that is that she as she arrived in Belgium when she was 11 years old and she was quite traumatized by this um, moving and arriving alone in a country full of white people and cold and everything. And then she always thought that she will come back to her home country quite soon. And then the idea, like other refugees, they do buying a house means, means that you there to stay. And I think she, she didn't want it to have this. So unconsciously, I'm sure, uh, she developed that thing saying that we can't stay more, more than three years in a place and then we, have, we need to keep moving. We need to keep moving. We need to keep moving. And, and she was doing that, yeah, for as long as I'm born. Was that yeah. difficult for you then to constantly have to be on the move, find somewhere new to live? Mm, no, no, because it was not difficult for her. So it was, you know, when you look at your parents, when everything is all right with them, usually as a child, you feel it all right. Um, it was just found it strange when I was growing that my other friends were not doing the same thing. And I was like, mom, why don't we buy a house like the others? <laughs> and she was like, mm, they they want, you know, to, to they need they need maybe property to feel that they exist or this or that, as we don't need that. I was like, okay. Fine. 
And is that still your mentality now as a result of growing up like that? At all, no. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I did when I was um, 22 years old is to buy an apartment. Okay. I was like, okay, I, I, I am from there. It's different than her. Um, I am born there in Belgium, in Brussels. I, I want to know, I want to have, a, not a house, but I want to have a home. And uh, in case anything is happening in, around the world, I know that I can come back and feel myself somewhere. So I bought that apartment when I was on tour already, like eight months per year, but I didn't care. I wanted to have a, a, yeah, a sense, a place when I, that I could call home. And that was the first thing. And uh, of course, I, I kept this idea of moving <laughs> because I'm on tour mm -hmm. uh, half of the year, even more. Um, but I, I, I'm used to call ourselves um, nomad people. I think we never... Um, get used to being in one place. It could be me, it could be my brother, it could be my sister. My sister is living in Hong Kong. My brother, my brother is at, at Toronto. Is traveling, taking the plane like every two days. Uh, we all that thing, but we 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 know who we are. We have a strong sense of identity, uh, but we feel that we can go wherever we want and discovering other things that could keep nurturing who we are. Yeah. So where is your home now then? Uh, Rwanda. Rwanda. Yes. So why did you move back to Rwanda? Or oh, move to Rwanda? Even. Move. Yeah. yeah. People, they call yeah. us returnees. Yeah. But I say, I'm not a returnee. <laughs> I never left this place. <laughs> oh. uh, the first time I went back was just after the genocide. I, I could not go there before because uh, as you know, refugee, you have a, a beautiful passport when it's returned all countries except Rwanda. So I've been landing there uh, on my way to Burundi because sometimes you had some... Um, uh, stopover but my mom she was keeping telling me never go out of this plane even if they tell you that you, because my father was living there so like if they say that your father is waiting for you that don't go out never go out so I, I was like looking through the window and I was like wow this is my country and I can't go out but so after the genocide when my father and my sisters arrived in Belgium I was like I need definitely to 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 see that country it's mine it's uh, it's painful at the moment because of the events. Um, I, I want to meet that country by my own and not through songs and not through theaters and not through stories. I want to have my feet on earth and feel how it, it is to be Rwandan, maybe. So I, I took the Belgian nationality, citizenship, and, uh, and I, I took the plane and I went uh, to Rwanda. And um, yeah, it was... Strange. It's a country. It's a country different than other countries I've been in Africa. It's it's hilly and green and it's really beautiful. So it was for me another paradox. It's like the beauty of the country and the horror of you mm. know the, the genocide. So I kept going there for every yeah every six months. I was finding a way to go to Rwanda and uh, and trying to learn what it be to be a Rwandan now. So um, I choose to move. Uh, I can't say forever, but for quite a long time. Uh, in 2004, I decided to go um, and put my suitcase there and say like, okay, what, what can I do now? Have your brothers and sisters got the same feeling? They want to have that Rwandan identity? Yeah, uh, most of us, we went back. <laughs> Not only my brothers and sisters, even the other young Rwandans I, I've, I've grown with, um, I, I can say that more than 75% of us, we went to Rwanda to live. 
went back, <laughs> which is strange. <laughs> went back for the first time. For the first time, yeah, yeah. And what did your parents say when you told them I want to live in Rwanda? Oh God, my father was he, he, he was he was worried, mm. really. He, he was um, because he knew the situation of Rwanda. He was a journalist at that time. He was also quite. Um, a bit traumatized by what happened there and it was really because he thought that I, I could not adapt um, I, I, I I sound like a, um, an alien like a stranger I move like a stranger I I, I I will meet that country uh, full of blood in streets and people with you know open scars and everything so it was really uh, it was really uh, scared for me, really. It was like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you should, going sometimes, but it was not really feeling comfortable. My mom, she, she, she did not know what to say. She said, like, go and see by yourself. But she never thought, none of them, even me, that I will be living there. Even my grandma, when I chose to move, told me, um, I, I could never guess. I could never guess that you, you, and especially you, because you're an artist and living in Europe, where artists can live professionally and, and are recognized by the society as um, uh, contributors to the development of a country, uh, you could come back to live here in Rwanda and at this moment. So nobody believed, and that's probably why other people that I knew came, say, like, if Carol can be living there, so we can. <laughs> so you were a beacon, you led the way for us. <laughs> I don't know, but I convinced <laughs> some of them, yeah. And did you feel like a stranger? Oh, yeah. In People, they way? stare at you. Because you look, just imagine yourself. You uh, Are you born in you born in yes, UK? Yeah. Uh, in London? Yes. So you feel completely mm-hmm. from London. And then you look like, you know, the style and everything, really, you know, sophisticated <laughs> and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and and then suddenly you um, you see... All people looking exactly like you physically, but dressed differently, uh, a different way of thinking, a different way of talking. And then people, they whisper in Rwanda, they don't speak loud, uh, they don't stare in the eyes, they, many, many, many different things. And then people, they stop, even in the street, they were used to stop and, and stare at me because I had shaved my hair. And usually it's people in prison, they do that. <laughs> and they were looking at me like, what the hell is this? And I was like, okay, you have to do, you have to deal with me now because this is who I am, and I am a Rwandan like you. So you can do one step, you know, towards me, and I can do also one, but it will never be to me and you one. You have to know who I am, and because I'm also part of the history of the country, even if I don't look exactly like all Rwandan women, I, 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 I it was painful in the beginning mm-hmm. because I, I, I looked back and I was like. Oh God, so will I be a stranger everywhere then? In Belgium, I, I look differently. In Rwanda, I look differently. Is there a place in, on earth when I can look like anybody else except on stage? Mm. <laughs> and um, in the beginning, it was a bit painful, but I uh, a bit forced myself to say like, no, there is no pain to feel. It's just um, a way, a long way to, to walk and then, and then to educate yourself about accepting that people they look at you like that and then maybe try also to make the effort to look at them differently and then find a, a meeting point and uh, this adjustment I, I do that for the past uh, 10 years is still on so have you found that meeting point mm, not entirely um, I met 
some people I create with other people an art space when we could reflect on that too about the changes of Rwanda the consequences of the past and how we you know physically it, it's it is concrete uh, today and everything for people to have reflection on that so in a certain way yes I created a meeting point which is an art space um, but for me it's constant because I can feel uh, now that most of the people that I know they accept uh, me as I am um, but when you see somebody different than yourself it's always send you like another reflection saying like am I am I wrong to think that the person is different or maybe I am different too and I haven't noticed it or who am I to judge so it makes a lot of people uncomfortable to look at different people um, because sometimes you just find yourself in a judgment position and you say like oh god I'm judging oh who am mm. I to judge and and I and I notice it like when we have weddings uh, when you have a, we have a lot of we have an intense social life <laughs> in Rwanda we bury people during birth like the same week you bury like three people <laughs> newborn new things and um, every time every time I see in the eyes of some people like she's different now I smile at them and I'm hello uh, I am Carol uh, I would like to meet you who are you <laughs> and then the people are a bit surprised and then they yeah I can see that they are more and more relaxed with this but in the beginning they I, I could feel a sense of anxiety in the in the my family in the family of my husband people looking at it or curiosity, uh, which I prefer. <laughs> um, yeah. So do you feel less different now, or have you made a conscious decision to remain the same as when you arrived in Rwanda? No, in the beginning I've tried to remain the same, and, I, I, and I, at a certain point I realized that was wrong, that it was wrong too. So I, I have to move. Mm. I had to, to change too. Um, I became more aware uh, about the the complex situation of what what does it mean to be a Rwandan today, to be um, ashamed about because of the genocide, being proud because we overcome that thing, uh, being small because we're in one of the smallest country in Africa, being no one because we have no resources and everything. It's each identity is complex and something that you you need to shape. You know, like a carpenter yourself, and then you choose. And um, so it's um, I think it's a work in 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 progress. Okay. Yeah. And 22 years or so after the, the genocide, in your opinion, how is Rwanda healing? Is it oh, better? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I think this is also one of the reasons I moved. It's um, when you see uh, that everything has been destroyed and, um, and the people are uh, suffering but trying to understand, understand why it happened to them. Mm. And having this new sense of awareness and clarity uh, in looking at things, uh, it's for me it was already the sign of um, of a rebirth and reconstruction and everything. So I, I, I could not and I cannot leave anyone else at the moment because what's happening is is it's magic and at the same time it's terrifying because it goes so fast and. But people are still questioning what happened at that time, how they could learn from the worst and and how they can eventually build another kind of society because the one before failed. And I think it's really courageous. Uh, so the people that I meet in my life are, God, I don't know if, if I had to, if I was in, in Rwanda in 94, if I would have the same courage. But this is really... Um, 
a place of hope and energy and and confidence in humanity so i yeah it has changed a lot of course people they still um feel the pain you know when you lose like 10 no 12% of the population can you imagine if like you just like mm-hmm. remove 12% of the people living in london disappearing uh you miss them uh so there is still a sense of sadness and uh um and injustice in a certain way because still many people are still outside many killers or people responsible for the genocide are still living a beautiful life outside of Rwanda but uh, people they choose to turn their faces to the future and uh, and they believe in it so it's wow no it's it's an um, extraordinary place so it's a positive country oh now. yes oh yeah and driving the, the people the young people like you because we have you know in Rwanda is yeah, it's almost 70% of the population which is younger than 18. Oh, wow. So the energy of the country, you can mm. imagine, is like, whew, <laughs> boiling. <laughs> so for old people like me now, <laughs> it's like, okay, how do we use that energy? How can we benefit from that and not seeing that, okay, we are an overpopulated country? No, we are. We have so much energy, <laughs> mm. so much potentiality. Oh, so you can do even much more than, than what other countries they can do. So it's it's great, it's great, and it's uh, it's full of challenges. But uh, every day, every day the country is changing, and uh, I have many friends of mine coming to visit and and going back every two or three years. Every time they come back and like, wow, the country has changed so fast and so much. So I, I hope we will keep the the same sense of um, momentum. Of yeah, the momentum. Uh, but having, if it's possible, the full consciousness about. Uh, what do we want for us? How do we imagine our society in 10, 20 years from now? And keep questioning if we fail or if we do mistakes, be able to sit down, stop and say, maybe we should look twice and then maybe analyze what happened before the next step or something. This is the moment. This is how it's happening at, at the moment, which is great. I hope we still have the same humility and the same momentum. So what's your prediction for Rwanda in 2026 or 2036 then? Oh, 2036. <laughs> uh, wow, 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 wow. My, my daughter, she will be like, wow, God, she will be 26 too. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. Um, oh, uh, a place... Um, like around the Kivu Lake, full of serenity and a peaceful one. Um, a place where everything is growing naturally, uh, not only food, but the people too. Um, a place full of light and a place when you can resource yourself, uh, wherever you're coming from the world, coming back to Rwanda and feel that you get... Uh, some new fresh air and your mind cleaned and then see properly through things dark or white or whatever. And um, yes, I, I, I hope that what we have learned, what we went through and what we're still trying to achieve will serve others, um, especially in the, in the neighborhood in Africa. Africa is big, but it has also many uh, challenges. And uh, yeah, that... I think it's it's a potential new era from uh, for 
African countries, what's happening in Rwanda. It's, mm. uh, and many people, they look at us like, you don't have the right to fail. And we say like, well, yes, we know. <laughs> But at the same time, it, w- it would be nice also to not forget that failing is, is just a source of, um, of uh, failure, is a source of, of um, experience and knowledge also. So yeah, I, I hope it will be like, yeah, bright, full <laughs> uh, nation and full of people, happy, uh, wise, And uh, yeah, Rwanda in 2026 sounds beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will be there. <laughs> I hope Great. so. I'll Never know. As well. um, so this rebirth, this renaissance in Rwanda, yeah. did that also affect the arts and culture scene in the country as well? Oh yeah, completely. Because um, just after the genocide, people they were suspicious about arts because when you speak out loud and when you speak in public, uh, it could be misused like the genocide, the propaganda, and all those things. So people, they were just like really looking at us like, no, 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 no. We don't let people, uh, freedom of expression, people, they would not really feel, they didn't feel comfortable about that. Um, so it was also the time for artists to say like, okay, how can we contribute to that society? Of course, people, they need medicine because of AIDS, they need because uh, of uh, trauma, they need uh, schools because everything has been destroyed. M- many other priorities and uh, and us it was like how can you we now rebuild humanity at the sense of being uh, together living together respectful for one another this is part of the arts and the culture so um, it took us quite a lot of a lot of time to um, buy groups of artists to see what could uh, be helpful uh, for the population so many different new forms of arts People, they, the same way that the, the, the country did, we get rid of complex. We embrace any art forms and we mix whatever we want to say what we feel uh, it's important to say. So there is no barriers between disciplines, for instance. People, they mix spoken word and um, uh, visual arts and everything. Like I know that here in Europe is already the case, but us, it was just like a, like a woo, the wind <laughs> just like <laughs> flowed everything. And then this is the, this possibility. So and and because we have young people, um, a, a lot of young artists, uh, it's really refreshing. And uh, and and the way that they they speak is um, they they are not afraid of say what they feel and what they want. And the way that they do is really uh, provocative, uh, questioning, also for for the elders. Um, yeah. So since yeah, ninety eight, many new festivals, arts. Uh, our, our, our group of artists, many uh, new encounters between, because we also understood that we are between two regions in Africa, between Central Africa and East Africa, and we just realized that the conversation was not happening because of English-speaking countries and French. And then because of what happened, because of the French people also in our countries, we said, like, we, we should not just think about Uh, through them, <laughs> let's have a you know like horizontal conversation. We don't need the North to talk to each other, <laughs> so we speak all Swahili. So let's speak, <laughs> and then it was like also a bridge for us to create a bridge between the, those two uh, regions, to create a bridge between the past and the present and the future, to create a bridge between with, between uh, old tradition because many old artists have been of course killed during the genocide. So to to look for the roots and then to to work on. Um, looking at really what is our true, what is the, the, the roots of, uh, what are the roots of the culture in, uh, and, and how can we learn from them and develop new form of art and everything. So it's, um, yeah, and of course, open, reopen ourselves because 
um, we were quite isolated before uh, at many different levels. And uh, after we passed that step of being shamed about what happened during the genocide, it was like, okay, come to say to the other artists around the world, come and, and, and let's share a reflection about, about that. So now we have many artists in Rwanda working all over the world and the entire world is coming also to us, which is a new, yeah, a fluid, uh, relationship and really enriching everything. And that history of Rwanda, not just the, the atrocities of 1994, yeah. but before that living as part of an empire, mm-hmm. does that inform the, the work of artists? Does that influence the, the work that you produce or others produce? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because it's still there. You know, it's um, in the Kinyarwanda, in all languages, I think you have... Um, uh, the essence of the culture usually it could be in the sense of humor it could be a, a, on uh, the way that you speak directly or not directly the way that you use metaphors images blah 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 so you have many important things contained in the, in the, in the language the language remained the same so people we still have the same polyphonic way of talking all the same notes going and everything but now you can find them for instance in music you have the same kind of traditional vibes going into blues jazz or even nigerian music and mix of east african and everything so but the 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 foundation are still uh, the same and people are trying and, and some group of young artists as well trying to recapture what what was there and what we can learn from there and but unfortunately we don't have um, we have only one school of arts in in Rwanda in its music and visual art and but I think one day we're gonna have also um, uh, art programs in university like here and then when people will be able to learn deeply and having a good knowledge about that traditional art forms and and from there be able or to recreate or to transform those art forms. And I guess the artists in Rwanda helped to explain or even perhaps heal the atrocities of of what happened. Yeah, a lot. It's it's a constant uh, work, I think. People, they say like, oh, so you got to talk about the genocide for the rest of your life. And I was like, no, but we can't escape it. So... Of course, when uh, I look at my little one, she's five years old, and uh, and if I have to explain that some of her friends, they have grandfathers, some not. Some, why the country is so sad in April, because you can feel it in your body. And, and especially when you're so young, you feel it, but you, you can't put words on it. And uh, I think it's important to transmit um, the transmission aspect of of everything for me is, is, is a fundamental of, of the human being and the humanity. We need to be able to, to tell stories about the history of humanity all over the place to continue to build ourselves, knowing, having good knowledge of the past to be able to continue. And um, yeah, it's, it's there. We create um, children's shows uh, talking about uh, the, the genocide, but of course in a more metaphorical way uh, we uh, we do films about it we do theater plays we write poems we do exhibitions uh, we do crazy projects like the one that we're doing at the moment called the cathedral of sounds when to try to mix the sound memory of the past the future and the present and ask people to contribute to this sound memory installation for the next generation and so it's yeah it's there and i think it's needed it's needed because um we have the feeling that if we forget um then what will prevent us to go back there so there is uh, some things are necessary to forget um 
the day and how the people died, I think it's really necessary to forget. But not how they contribute to our lives and how they were happy and how they were smiling and how they love eating and they were singing in the bathroom when you were there and everything. So those things can continue to, 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 to feed us. Um, so now, 22 years later, it's, it's starting to be less... Um, a memory which traumatized is now it's more a memory which reconciles us with life. So hopefully um, the work of artists in Rwanda and where Rwanda is today is a good case study, an example of where countries can be in the future. If you look at the atrocities that are happening right now, they can also be Rwanda later on. Yeah, hopefully. I hope so. I hope so. I think it's really uh, um, I think we all try our best at our, our you know, our, our level is not that big. Um, I think it's, yeah, and this is the kind of conversation that we have with artists from other parts of the world uh, which have or had faced the same kind of uh, difficulty than, than us, like people coming from uh, Belarusia or people coming from uh, Korea or coming from uh, other places like Mexico for different reasons and, and having a conversation about what is the role of the arts, what is the power of the arts and how arts can help us uh, learning about um, existing things or events that we can't control entirely but how can we continue to to um, to help us understanding to heal when necessary uh, when the healing is necessary or to provoke or to create revolution if necessary <laughs> but yeah I think it's um, I, I never thought about that but I think it will be interesting to see which kind of art has been produced for the past 20 years and how it has evolved or not and and of course asking the audience if those art products mm. <laughs> um, has, have all not influenced or are having an impact on them. You mentioned your daughter. Yeah. Um, she's five years old. Yeah. Does she have a Rwandan name? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only. <laughs> what is it? Kesha. What does that mean? Kesha uh, means the, the person who animates a traditional culture evening. Oh, wow. And it's also the same word that we used for Gukesha. Um, um, when the sun rises in the morning, this this uh, kind of energy that mm -hmm. you have in the air. yeah. This potential energy. Yeah, <laughs> so she is definitely that. And, and does she know what her mother does for a living yet? Is yeah. she old enough? Yeah, she, yeah, she does. <laughs> Ma'am, she's an artist. Yeah. And it's like, why artists do they work at night and on <laughs> Saturday? Why do you have to go? Why do you have to tell stories to others? Come and here and stay with me. <laughs> but she's, she's traveling with me quite often. Oh, great. So, yeah. Is she in London at the moment? Yeah, she's in London. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And has she seen the show? Oh, uh, yes. She, she, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, she loved it. And okay. especially the, the story at the end when the... Yeah, Sorry, Markandeya is going through the body of the young boy and discovering the whole world. Oh, she loved that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, lovely. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk to you about Battlefield mm -hmm. then. Um, yeah. How did that happen? How did you end up being in Battlefield? Haha. Uh -huh. um, I met for the first time at Peterbrook two years ago. Two or three. In 2016. Three years ago. And uh, it was on his birthday. Uh, we had a tea um, for three hours. <laughs> it was the most beautiful tea I ever had. And um, we were talking about many things. Art, uh, the current state of the world, um, mental illness, many things. 
And that, that was all. And then two years later, I received a call uh, in Rwanda asking me if I remember him. And I said, lucky, yes, I think I do. <laughs> and if I would like to, to be part of uh, his next uh, project. And I say, of course, yes. And that's all. Oh, incredible. And so you were in Paris with um, Battlefield before coming to London. Yeah. Have you noticed any difference between how audiences respond to the show? Oh, yeah. It's completely different. In what way? <laughs> Some things are similar. Uh, the transformative kind of uh, effect on us and the audience at the end, like something happened. That's, that's similar. But here is um, you understand each word, each <laughs> syllabus, each letter, different, you know, it's, it's your language, even English. So it's, uh, we can feel that you taste it uh, with more, um, how can I say, experience mm. uh, than in Paris. Uh, so it gives, it gives to us more freedom. Oh, really? And then we can try new things because whatever is happening, you you follow everything, uh, especially because of the language. And, and then it's, um, yeah, you are more... Um, how can I say <laughs> it? Um, not complex uh, kind of audience, mm -hmm. but uh, we're in London. You have like... Uh, 40 shows happening at the same time. The whole world is coming to you and you don't have to go anywhere. So, of course, the challenge is, 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 uh, is higher, <laughs> is bigger. But, um, but it's, it's nice. The response is really nice and we have much more freedom. Of course, Paris it was the, the, the first few weeks of the, of the show. Uh, but here we discover because of this easy way of communicating with you through English, it's easier to go and try new things. And the theatre, of course, the space is also different. So has your performance changed in London than it was in Paris? A lot. Yeah. A lot. Even the whole beginning has changed. The first three scenes, they were not like this. Uh, we had a dress rehearsal and the next day, uh, Peter and Marie-Hélène arrived and said like, we have some change at three o'clock and then in the evening it was another place. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course, it's different. Uh, yeah. And where are you going with Battlefield after the Young Vic? After the Young Vic, we go to Mumbai. Oh, wow. Which is another... Mm, challenge <laughs> because the story is coming from there mm. so I, I hope I hope they will appreciate uh, what we're trying to understand and to share through uh, this little part of the original Mahabharata and uh, I am really curious about um, about how they will receive it uh, you know when I don't know it's like giving something to someone and then someone is giving it to somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. And then you have like that song coming back to your ears. But the tune has changed the way that the people are singing different. The words are quite the same, but sound different. And if you like it or not, I, I guess it's, it's about openness mm -hmm. to have an open mind. And I'm sure they have an open mind, especially in Mumbai, because it's quite, it's a big city and everything. Um, but I, yeah, I think we will go there, of course, more, humble than ever. Uh, Are you nervous? Uh, a bit. <laughs> a bit. Why more humble than ever? Because it's their story. Yeah, yeah. because it's coming from there. It's like um, touching the ground of a special place for the first time. It could be the place of your childhood that you, you know, you have left for uh, 
30 years it could be the first place where your parents met or uh, where somebody that you loved died and then you go back for the first time after the death of that person there is a sense of place and space which is completely different so i'm sure that i will feel it at the airport and i'm sure that i will feel it on stage and I- i'm sure we will all feel it and because of the themes of the production and the message of uh, war and murder and mm-hmm. death because of your background do you think that you give it more sensitivity and more and more thought <sighs> i don't know i, I i'm sure that uh Ari and i we are coming from rwanda mm. Um, Sean is coming from Ireland, which has also a huge history of conflict and war. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared is coming from America, uh, which is currently has big mm-hmm. <laughs> a role in, in many conflict um, around the world. So today, unfortunately, I'm sure we all have an experience of war and, and death and, and atrocities in a different way. Um, so I guess, I guess this is also what Peter and Maria Landy were looking at, uh, having people having different, um, reflection around that question about, uh, how the, the human people that we are, the human beings that we are, uh, are dealing with the inner violence. How do we act for or against each other? How do we repeat the same things and how do we learn from those cycles of violence and war so um, yeah I think each of us as a, an individual uh, try to see how our experience of life can can serve um, the, the the story um, but uh, I, I can't say that s- some people have more experience than others mm. no at the end of battlefield um, there's this very long silence mm-hmm. when the audience maybe they're not sure whether it's finished or maybe they're absorbing digesting the show and you're standing there on stage facing this audience who are in total silence mm. and there's a power there how does that feel for you as a performer on stage it's magical <laughs> really it's magical because even the quality of the silence is different every night um, sometimes you feel uh, the body the bodies of the people in the audience relaxing and, and appreciating this silence. Uh, sometimes you feel some people more uncomfortable with this huh, because we are a world full of sound and noise. and <laughs> So it's, uh, they, 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 they don't know what to do. Uh, but we usually feel whatever is happening like um, something like coming together and embracing everyone, whatever it is, we don't know, but it's something shared and really lived by one plus one plus one plus one plus one person. Yeah, uh, up to 500. <laughs> and it's a communal moment. You know, those like in rituals, we don't have theater is a ritual for me. You don't have so many rituals in life when we can just be together, having an experience and then taking your time to digest it and reflect on it. And this is what's happening. So it's just... Because after Toshi's last note, uh, it's also what he's doing during the entire play. The drama. Yeah, the drama is is also, it's the the fifth character. And uh, he has the last word. And he's playing something different every day. And then I know that each of us, we imagine something different. Me, when I listen to music, or I see colors, or I see spaces and everything. So every day I have a different story that is telling me, opening again the sense of what we have done. So it's like, oh, 
oh yes, oh, oh maybe. And and I feel that the people sometimes in the audience they have the same thing also like, hmm, hmm, <laughs> hmm. And then after, the most courageous or maybe the most impatient one do, does like. A start yeah, a tiny club and then the others sometimes it's happening that people they stop it like and then you feel the entire <laughs> audience stopping with the body not even with a word stopping that person that person like and then wow. again poof, they started <laughs> it's it's magical it's uh it's yeah saying that you know many things are said in, in that silence and it's also, I think, the kind of quality of the work that uh, Peter and, and Marie-Hélène, the, the kind of quality that you have in conversation with an audience and the kind of conversation that theatre can create uh, so deep that you can be in communication with other people in silence, with yourself in silence for sometimes three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what about After Battlefield? What's your next project, your next artistic adventure? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have many. <laughs> um, at the moment, I have uh, another play that I created at the same time than Battlefield, uh, entitled "We Call It Love," um, which is touring um, in Africa and in Europe again. So it's really precious to me because it's a it's a, a story of the my previous neighbor uh, when I arrived the first time in Rwanda, and she's a beautiful woman. And I think without her, I will never come back to Rwanda. So it was for me. Um, uh, a tribute to her sense of humanity so that play is touring so I wish it will continue and uh, we are writing a play called My Our House um, also with the uh, artists from Rwanda and, and Germany thinking about the sense of home and house and uh, everything uh, when your house is destroyed uh, where do you feel at home how to build your house here in Europe um, uh, beach of sands in Madagascar disappeared because you need sands to build your building here and everything. Having a mm -hmm. sense of uh, meeting, opening your door, closing your door, everything. Yeah, but it's uh, a performance for a young audience uh, from 10 years old. And um, we have uh, another project with women only, writers and, and directors, um, called I Am a Woman, but I'm, I'm treating myself. Uh, I am, you know, uh, under, I'm just following a cure <laughs> because I'm a woman. So it's to talk about um, how uh, the world need, probably needs more um, feminine or female qualities uh, to feel better uh, in a certain way and how women can embrace who they are without being judged or thinking to compare themselves only uh, through men. Even if we love you, we are independent persons. And um, yeah, and other projects. I would love to do many, uh, doc not documentary films, but almost uh, short films um, uh, about uh, African playwriters, contemporary one from Sudan, from Nigeria, from Ghana. And uh, yeah, that's... So you're very busy. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carol, I know that you're back on stage this evening in Battlefield, so I'm yes. going to let you go and prepare, but it's been an utter joy talking to you this mm. afternoon. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you so much. It was Thank a nice you. moment. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Off Book by The Young Vic. If you'd like to hear more conversations with some of the most exciting people in theatre, subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. <laughs>